Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and your patients. In this episode, the conversation is about advanced care planning amidst COVID-19 and how the pandemic has had patients, families, and clinicians broach the subject with one another. Quality Improvement Specialist Kathy Ray leads a conversation with Katie Hoam, Vice President of Pace Operations, a division of aging and in-home services of Northeast Indiana, and Chris Brenneman, Advanced Care Planning Manager, Respecting Choices ACP Facility at Parkview Health. Now, let's get this conversation started. We want to welcome listeners back to the conversation today as QSource continues the advanced care planning uh, conversation with our experts, Chris and Katie. They're from the uh, northwest part of the state and are working with honoring uh, our advanced care planning choices and what that looks like in the community. So welcome back, ladies. We're glad to have you with us. Um, But I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about today how COVID has really affected the advanced care planning uh, piece of the puzzle and those decisions that are out there. Um, In light of the pandemic, I know a lot has changed, but um, wanted to find out from you what you're seeing and what you're hearing out there. Katie, you wanna get us started? Sure. you know, I think Chris and I have talked a lot about uh, advanced care planning and and how COVID kind of led everybody to the same ahas that that we've um, you know we've been been talking about for quite some time. Um, it definitely exposed you know the 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 cracks in our system, um, and I think for for those of us on the healthcare side, the importance of planning in advance versus planning in the midst of a crisis became that much more important. Um, and, you know, there we'll talk about, you know, barriers that we've really seen, uh, you know, as part of the the, the COVID um, the COVID crisis. But I think, you know, it really um, brought those to the forefront because it wasn't easy to get documents signed when somebody is, you know, already on a ventilator um, or families not, um, you know, families quarantined or, you know, just all of these hurdles we had in the pandemic that made advanced care planning harder, but also really rose it to the top as far as something that's just really important that we're doing prior to, um, you know, the world literally changing um, for us. So, Chris, anything you would add there? No, I I think that's a nice summary of how COVID brought things to a head. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about a special project we ended up doing within the walls of our health system as COVID numbers um, especially started escalating in November and December and January. We um, were realizing, as most healthcare entities were, that we were, um, our system was being taxed our doctors were being overwhelmed, our bedside teams were being overwhelmed, and we needed to really look at processes and maybe how we could make sure that we weren't automatically going 
aggressive care, aggressive care, aggressive care, without making sure that aligned with each person's individual goals, mm -hmm. even in light of having COVID. And so we worked with our leadership and several of my high-performing advanced care planning facilitators ended up doing what we called the MICU project. So patients who were already in medical ICU, already had a COVID diagnosis, and were already on a ventilator, right? So we're kind of, like Katie said, we're past the advanced part mm -hmm. of care planning. We're in the midst of care planning. Mm -hmm. um, but we invited their families who at the time were not allowed to visit, so weren't at the bedside. We made phone calls to them and helped them to do that reflection part of an advanced care planning conversation. Tell me about your husband, your daughter, your granddaughter, your uncle. Um, what did a good day look like to them? What would they want to do? Who would they want to be with? Did they have previous experience with being in the healthcare system themselves or having family in the healthcare system? What did they learn from that experience? What were their values? What were their beliefs? And then we asked them to critically think about that and the path they were on for healthcare. Was aggressive medical care the way that their family member would have wanted to continue? Would comfort measures have been more in line with their goals? Or would it really be more of the middle of the road? Yes, I'm okay with care up to this point. And so even though we were in the midst instead of doing it in advance, it gave those families the opportunity to really reflect on their individual family member based on what mattered most to them. And that was really all in response to the volume of patients who were COVID positive and sometimes patients who weren't even, co we didn't have the COVID test results yet. They were presenting as though they had COVID, but we hadn't had the results come back. Um, stepping back and having that conversation and really inviting that opportunity to talk about what matters most and how that impacts your healthcare decision making. And I think what Chris is really describing, and I think it's the piece that is is often misconstrued when it comes to advanced care planning, is the process of having these conversations really humanizes the everything in a way that I, I think once you've been through an advanced care planning conversation, it just feels different, kind of remaining lessons learned from those experiences. And so, you know, using those to, you know, in the midst, as Chris said, of this real life crisis, um, it, it just makes it feel different. It doesn't feel so medicalized. It doesn't feel so scary either because, you know, there's so much of it we don't understand if if we're not in the healthcare system itself. And so I just, you know, it's, it's really a, a beautiful thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I wish it didn't take a global pandemic to maybe have more people understand that and kind of get on, on board. Um, but I'll, I'll take, take what I can get at this point. Um, and I, I do think we'll see um, just a lot more of a focus on having these very person centered 
personal conversations that will help lead families through these these situations in a in a hopefully just a much less stressful way. Mm-hmm. Well, you focused on the relationships and you focused on empowering the family to share their story. Mm-hmm. And that's huge because I feel and correct me if I'm wrong, but families walk into healthcare settings and feel like they don't have any rights anymore. You know, I don't have the right to to do this anymore because things are changing and it you just extended and empowered them the ability to share about their husband's life or their son's life or whatever that situation looked like. So I just think that's powerful in a, in a huge way to well, document. And, yeah. And, you know, Chris and I have talked about this a lot that, you know, it puts that person, that patient back in the room too. Yes. You know, it, you know, with COVID oftentimes they were incapacitated and, and couldn't participate in these discussions mm-hmm. or they couldn't do it in a, a very meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it really, it really pulls that person back in the room because it's hard as a family member to, to, you know, look at the loss of a loved one. They just, you know, they want mom, they want their their spouse, whoever it might be. But to put that person back in the room with them and say, okay, yes, I want them to, to you know, to pursue a certain, you know, path for treatment, but is that really what they would have wanted if they were standing here next to me? And yeah. so I think it just refocuses everything in a way that, you know, puts the individual back in the center of it all, as opposed to, you know, all the dynamics that we get into with family and just different healthcare providers too. I mean, there's specialists and hospitalists and, you know, all these different things that just make it complicated. And so it, it puts that voice, the most important voice back at the center of it. Yeah, it requires discernment on your end with families that are hanging on to every ounce of life for their own selfish reasons. But, but putting the patient first and what would their wishes be? Mm-hmm. What would they really want in this situation? And I think that's critical and valuable. Um, and you're absolutely right, making it patient-centered. And I'm sure, and I'm I'm under the mindset that it takes a village, uh, not only with you ladies, but with clergy, with family that, you know, has the most impact in their life, um, has has had the most meaning in their life. And I personally had a cousin that was on a ventilator in another state and we were all told um, to come say our goodbyes. And this person is my age and we were not prepared as a family. And I felt bad for his wife. He's a minister by trade and his wife was not prepared to deal with the advanced care planning conversation because they had lived a healthy life. They ha- they didn't have any crisis to um, take them to the next level t- for that conversation. But did our family learn a lot out of this? At- he lived, he walked out of the hospital, he made the local news. Um, you know, God turned his life around. And I know that's an editorial comment that you'll have to edit out. But my, <laughs> my point, my point being that um, because he was so young and he was hit with COVID and then all of a sudden was on a ventilator and just threw our family for a loop. Mm-hmm. Um, it absolutely scared us to death to think a man with two young kids is going to lose his life over this disease. Um and that we were not prepared with those conversations. So 
that's just my personal testimony. Yeah. Yeah, I think to to add the perspective of personal testimony, this is Chris. Um, I, you know, sometimes when I do um, presentations about advanced care planning, I use a little bit of gallows humor and say, you know, there's a reason there's the saying I could go out and get hit by a bus because people have gone out and gotten hit by a bus, right? Mm -hmm. And if you've done advanced care planning and you've been hit by a bus, then your family knows what you want and can honor those wishes. No one expects to be hit by a bus, but it could really happen to any of us. We leave the house at the beginning of the day fully intending to end up back in our home at the end of the day, and some sort of catastrophic accident happens in between leaving and attempting to arrive home. I think COVID was like that bus. You know, we were hit by a bus in a different way. Um, you know, we lost over 600,000 people in the United States alone because of COVID and with many not ever having, ever opening the doors that this is acceptable and good conversation to have, even though it's really challenging to have. And I would say to anybody that is listening, you don't have to go home and sit down at dinner and say, let's have your advanced care planning conversation. I want to know what happens before you die and what you want. You know, you can start with that. Tell me what a good day looks like to you. I really want to know. And if they end up in the hospital, if they've said things to you like a good day to me is driving to the coffee shop every Monday through Friday and having coffee with my guys and then being able to come home and play on the floor with the grandkids that we babysit five days a week and I end up with a catastrophic stroke and the medical team tells my family it's very unlikely that I will walk or talk or know who I am, then the family, just in knowing that definition of living well, yeah. living well, and what that means to them can help influence the decisions they make about care. So if putting a breathing tube is an option, putting a feeding tube in, the likelihood that he'll end up in long-term care, perhaps they can make care decisions, treatment decisions earlier in that person's stay that allows that quality of life, that value of what's important, that what matters most to be honored and those care decisions to be consistent with that. Mm -hmm. And this is this is Katie. I you know, as as Chris talks about the the literal, you know, bus that we all have had in the last year and a half. You know, I think even just using that as a segue, you know, what if it was us? But, you know, having these little moments to have these conversations over, you know, again, over our lifespan, over many years with our loved ones is mm -hmm. a, a way to kind of continue to build that that pool of, of knowledge that might be very useful one day, even though you hope you don't need it, um, you'll be happy you, you do. Um, and, you know, I think there's, 
you know, maybe don't sit next to Chris and I at a dinner party because um, we probably will ask those questions. Probably. Um, but, uh, but, you know, for, for the rest of the, you know, the rest of the public, um, you know, using just, I saw this in the news and what if that was us? What, you know, what yes. would you want me to do in that situation? Um, I, you know, my, I can think of kind of my own personal experience. My, my husband works in the woods um, and has lost coworkers to trees falling down. Um, and so, you know, we have had that conversation because of that very real scenario in our life. You know, what would you want me to do if, if that happened to you? What would you want? Um, and, and so, you know, I think we have to find those moments where we can um, over the course of a relationship with somebody to try to, you know, have, have all the tools we need in the event of a, an emergency or a crisis. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think that this is Chris, life, life gives us opportunities. Mm-hmm. And as an advanced care planning department that schedules conversations with people, we do see upticks in requests for conversations um, when something happens on the news or um, on TV or when Kobe Bryant, for example, had his helicopter crash. You know, here's this almost sports um, indomitable kind of guy, superhero that you just can't imagine would be cut down in the prime of his life with a helicopter crash. Mm -hmm. And so using that as an opportunity to springboard conversation with your family, it doesn't have to be a doom and gloom kind of conversation. In fact, I will say we do satisfaction surveys at the end of our advanced care planning conversations. And one of the questions we ask, the first question is for people to rate the usefulness of an advanced care planning conversation on a scale of one to five. And we average 4.9 out of five after over four years of having our advanced care planning program at Parkview. So people may not know they even want to have these conversations, but once the opportunity presents itself, they they get it. They understand the value of talking about what we want now instead of waiting until we're in the midst of things. Yeah, those are great results. Wow, excellent work. Thank you. Both of you. Now, Katie, you had mentioned some barriers and challenges um, a little while ago. Is there more you would like to say about advanced care planning barriers? You know, I think the I think the biggest one that really um, came to the forefront in the midst of the pandemic is um, being able to sign documents. Um, okay. What do you do when somebody has been, um, you know, somebody is isolated in an ICU room? Um, you know, people can't get in. You know, an attorney can't get into to witness, or a notary can't get into witness a document. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I that was a huge piece of, um, you know, kind of trying to to navigate all of that during the pandemic when when people were having to get these documents in place very quickly. Um, and the Indiana law really didn't allow for um, any electronic um, options. So um, that's part of the new bill coming July 1st. Or is there some signatory um, okay. changes that would make that process easier? Um, you know, a notary is still a notary and they have to follow the guidelines of their their role. 
but that's why there are two witness signatures um, that could be done in place of a notary because sometimes that's easier to you know to to organize. Um, so I think that was a big one. Um, I would say the other thing that I know I heard um, kind of anecdotes about was just having the documents where they need to be when somebody needs to see them. So as Chris talked about in the previous podcast, you know, hiding them in a safe safety deposit box doesn't do anybody any good. And what you would realize in these crisis situations is that, you know, my spouse is the only one that has access to it. I'm not listed on the, you know, individuals that can get into it. And so I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that was the other piece is just, you know, if you're going to take the time to do these documents, they should be everywhere. Um, I mean, you know, I keep them in my glove box, um, you know, just in a place where they are easily retrievable, um, because I think a lot of times um, for these individuals being admitted with COVID, things did decline rapidly. And so there wasn't time to kind of figure out the logistics of where these documents were living. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's a matter of who makes healthcare decisions for that person. If you don't know who that's supposed to be, then we get into default, you know, get into the hierarchy, which I think Chris and I are going to talk about, um, in the, in the next podcast, but, you know, you get into maybe people who you don't want making decisions for you, um, rising to the top of that list. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think this is Chris. I, I, I think a barrier is really personalizing the concept that advanced care planning is something I have to do. We think about advanced care planning and we think about our older aged parent who needs to get it done. You know, we don't take it to that granular level. Oh, Chris and Katie are speaking to me. They're telling me that as a healthcare provider, as, as, an adult over the age of 18, regardless of my age, regardless of my health, I really should be engaging in an advanced care planning conversation. And I know that conversation will change over time. So what I say that I want, if I'm a 28-year-old marathon runner, newly married, expecting my first child, when I'm 68 and I have congestive heart failure and diabetes, and I'm settling into retirement and what that looks like, my advanced directives could look very, very different. My conversations could sound very, very different, but that doesn't mean that conversation with a 28-year-old is any less important than a conversation with a 68-year-old or 48 or whatever that age may be. So I think taking that concept and hearing. In fact, sometimes I say, I'm not sure why there aren't people lined up outside our door (laughs) to have their advanced care planning conversation. There's just so much value to making sure your people who matter most to you know what matters most. Um, And so advanced care planning is, is a vehicle to make that happen. And I think COVID just, like Katie said, made that rise to the top that the value is so important. You just can't understate how early advanced care planning is a benefit to the individual themselves, their family members, the healthcare team as they're trying to figure out how to provide that best patient-centered individualized care. 
and, and ultimately to us as a community as we're supporting people who are coping with serious or life-threatening illness or COVID as we've just done. Mm -hmm. Well, before we wrap up, are there any successes with COVID and advanced care planning that we haven't talked about? Successful opportunities that you can think of? Yeah, so this is Chris. I think one thing that it did for us as a health system, and not that we weren't doing this, but I think it just raised the value of making sure we're checking each and every time if someone has an advanced directive in their medical record. And by making it as simple as possible to both store those documents in an easy to find spot, um, mm -hmm and how important and how much easier that makes it for everyone is so valuable. Because again, you, if you tell us you have a document and you brought it to the hospital six years ago and it's gotta be there and we don't have a good system for finding it and being able to pull it in that crisis, um, I think that just reiterated making sure our processes make it as easy as possible and that we're doing it as consistently as possible so that we know. And, you know, one thing's with with the new law that's coming into play is that healthcare providers aren't required to evaluate the validity of an advanced directive document. But I think that's part of us providing good patient centered care. Were the I's dotted? Were the T's crossed? Was the decision they made up here? Does it make sense with the decision that they made down here? And so making sure that we are doing that consistently, I think COVID probably for all healthcare providers really elevated. If we know patients' wishes, we mm -hmm. might, instead of starting at step one, we might now be starting at step five because we already know this conversation has been had and we have direction from the patients. Okay. I, this is Katie. I, I think the only other success I would add is, and this has always been a, a pet peeve of mine, but I think we um, are starting to realize that um, advanced care planning doesn't mean code status. And I think that that um, it, within the healthcare system, long-term care, I mean, home health, all of it, you know, I, I um, in my work, I've talked to patients where, you know, we're talking about advanced care planning and they said, well, I don't want to be resuscitated. And it's like, okay, well, great. But there's a lot of things we have to know prior to that decision um, or in conjunction with that decision. And I, I do think just with the way, um, you know, with the, with the symptoms that people experienced from COVID and the interventions such as a ventilator that were used, it did really kind of highlight that just knowing whether you want resuscitation or not is simply not enough. And it's not enough for the providers to, to navigate through these, um, you know, these more technical decisions, but it's also just not enough for your family to know that either. Um, and I think we've really hung our hats on that, um, that particular decision as being enough conversation. Like, well, I don't wanna be a, you know, I, I do wanna be resuscitated, okay. Um, but I just, you know, to, to dig into that choice and all of the things that surround it, I think is, has been a silver lining in some of this because it's just not enough. Um, it's, it's not enough. We have to do more. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank both of you again. Uh, wonderful information. Again, walking away with so much more knowledge than I had before, and I am pretty sure our audience can agree that um, it just continues to build. And as we move through to our next podcast, we want to just continue that conversation and what advanced care planning looks like. Um, We're going to dive into some more details on our next podcast, but today I want to thank both of you so much and all of the wonderful information that you've shared with us so far. And we look forward to having you back. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org slash conversation podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.